Dateable, where we have been walking through asking questions that generally nobody ever asks from God's word to the question of, hey, are you dateable? Is she dateable? Is he dateable? And tonight we're going to continue that theme and walk, like we mentioned a second ago, what it looks like to date according to the principles from God's word, the dateables, if you will. But let me start with a story of kind of something recent in my world, my life. My son is five years old, plays on a soccer team called the Knights. His dad is the coach, which would be me. This team had our first game last Saturday. We had a couple practices under our belt, got, you know, four on four, five-year-olds, got six five-year-old kids looking at them, trying to teach them how to kick the ball. We go to the game and we get smoked. I mean, smoked like it, it just obliterated. One of the kids on the other team, like they stopped counting score after some point because it was 12 to zero and it was like, this is so demoralizing, especially for five-year-olds. But they get a juice box to bounce right back. But to the point where... There was a kid, no lie, they're running down the field, and this is a kid on the other team who was like the next Ronaldo or something. He runs, and he, at the end, does a sliding kick into the goal. Then gets up, runs, and does a knee slide like he's in, like Pele, with the Superman. He's five. It was like, man, I, I don't even, I'm just so impressed right now. Honestly, guys, we're, we're gonna be a part of seeing the next Pele. This is special. I didn't think it could get worse, and I assumed this has got to be the best team that we're going to play. And so we went back to practice. Hey, this is a soccer ball. Teach them the fundamentals. Here we go, guys. Then we had our next game. It was this Saturday. And I thought there couldn't have been a better team than the last one that we played until I saw this team. And this team beat us 13 to 0, and it was 4 on 4. And in the last half, the second half of a two part game, they only played with three players, and their coach was like, you guys got to pass it eight times before you score. <laughs> that it was like total mercy rule. And it didn't help that our own players were scoring on our goal at some point. <laughs> but this team was remarkable. I mean, they were running plays. It was like, I, am, I have failed all of you as your coach. I'm so embarrassed. And I realized something after the game. The coach on the other team was hired by the parents He's a professional soccer coach trainer. Yeah. When you're doing that for five-year-olds, there's something wrong with the parent in that situation. But he was teaching them everything, every play. Like they knew just what to do because they had this professional coach that was coming along that had equipped and trained and prepared them. Unlike in our team where, you know, we're just trying to get them to stop picking daisies and stuff and play the game. And they just got destroyed. What does that have to do with dating? Well, I think oftentimes in life, a lot of us are like my son's team that was unequipped to play the game. In other words, unlike the other team where they had coaching and they had somebody who taught them how to come along and professionally just knew exactly what they're doing and knew exactly how to train a five-year-old, most of us go through dating and we just get like my son's team just destroyed because we've never had a good coach, someone to teach us how to approach this subject. And by that, you may be thinking, no, man, I know exactly what I'm doing. Most of us learn how to start dating, and most of us started dating, and learned to date all around the same time. 
right after puberty, 15, 16 years old, that's kind of when you were introduced to at least some strong interest in the opposite sex. And it's around that time that kind of generally everybody is learning how to do it together, whether it's, you know, their friends are telling them how to date and how to think, or whether it's society and culture and Taylor Swift and Corey and Topanga, they're all teaching them this is how you should think about relationships. And sadly, having the wrong coach that doesn't walk through play by play leads to a lot of us having a lot of baggage and a lot of pain and a lot of destruction in our lives. And so the good news is God, more than any person in this room, wants you to have an amazing marriage. More than any person that is in a dating relationship, God is more for you having an amazing marriage someday than even you are. And so all throughout the Bible, we are given principles and truths to help inform how we think about love, romance, marriage, who to look for. We said before, the Bible doesn't talk about dating because it wasn't around back then, but it has a lot to say about decision-making, about evaluating, about romance, about marriage, about the type of qualities that make for a good spouse. And so what I wanna do is I wanna walk through and apply some of those principles as it relates to dating. How to go from the ask out to the altar. Because this is the single most important human relationship you're gonna decide. And so you and I need to go in with the right mindset, looking for the right qualities and characteristics. And to anyone in the room who's going, hey, you're just gonna take principles and the Bible doesn't talk about dating. And so you're just gonna tell me kind of what your experience and what your perception is. Let me simplify. If you're just going, hey, what is the ultimate? I want just a quick answer. How should I date? How can I date God's way? I'm gonna give you the answer. Ready? Two words. Honor them. Honor her. If you're a guy, honor him. If you're a girl. Now the problem is, is that this idea of honor, because you could do be that simple and be like, let's go watch the milkshake game. The problem is we live in a society and culture that has lost an understanding of what it means to honor someone. We're so self-absorbed and so self-focused and so selfie culture that when it comes to a relationship that is not about ourselves, because by definition, a relationship is putting our eyes on another person, we've lost an understanding of how to honor them. And so what I wanna do, and I am so committed, and I want with all of my heart what I'm about to say to happen. I wanna walk through, based on the last 12 years of experience, based on what God's word teaches, and how to apply principles to honor them in every phase of the dating relationship. My full send hope for this message is that God will launch amazing marriages in this room. That guys, there's gonna be a girl that you look to in this room, you ask her on a date, you end up getting married, send me a card. That there are girls, he asks you on a date, you end up getting married, you have babies, and you raise disciples who love Jesus. That is my unashamed goal, candidly, and if everybody gets married next week, and we gotta become a young adult, or young married ministry together, we will do that, that would be amazing. And so that is my hope and my goal. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through with Ben and Becca. It's got a cute ring to it. I'll say that. Ben and Becca are going to help us walk through the different stages. They're just going to sit. And as we progress through, they're going to come. So will you guys help me welcome one more time Ben and Becca to the stage? It's just a milkshake until it isn't. All right. Ben, you're going to be right over here at the ask out seat. You're going to be right over here at the ask out seat. We're going to walk through each of these seven stages as it relates to how do I honor the other person. As simple as this may seem, if you will apply these truths, you will be automatically in the top 
1% of daters out there. And so my heart is to see you thrive. Are you guys blowing kisses or something back here? (laughs) What did I miss? Anything you'd like to say? (laughs) Okay, so stage number one is the ask out, the meeting. This is very, very important. So men, listen up here. Guys, ask girls on dates. On dates. Not to hang. Sure, you can clap for that. Not, don't ask to chill. Don't ask what you got going on. Don't ask, hey, you know, got any plans this week? Don't text or DM at 1130 at night like a weirdo and say, you up? Don't do any of that. You find them in person, you ask them on a date. When you do, you use the word date, D-A-T-E. Very important, you use that word. You may not care about it, she will care about it. Because if not, you'd be like, hey, you know, what you doing? She's like, I don't know what you're asking me to do. And it, (laughs) you're welcome. In addition, again, I'm just talking to the men who want to be in top 1%. If you're great being the bottom 99, like everybody else in the world, you do you. If you want to be in top one, hey, this is it. also in addition. You give them specifically what you would like to do. In other words, you say, <laughs> in other words, you say, hey, I'd like to take you on a date this Saturday night. If you don't have plans, I'd love to take you to dinner and then go to an art museum. I'd love to go to a walk after getting some Tex-Mex. You tell them what you would like to do. Here's why this matters. You've been thinking about this for like six hours, or at least six hours. You've been thinking maybe for six days, you're going to ask her. You may have like your small group texting you, how's it going? Have you asked her yet? You've been thinking about it. She hasn't. She's getting like 0.0 seconds to evaluate, do I want to do this? And so you can honor her by giving clarity to exactly what I'm asking you to to participate in or to do. In addition to that, girls... Go on dates. Don't go kick it. Don't go say yes to hanging. Don't say yes to you up. Say yes to dates. In my opinion, this is my opinion, a godly girl should go on a date. Just give a godly guy a date. I mean, I hear this every week of girls going, you know, the problem is guys just never ask girls on dates. Part of the problem is also that girls, when they do get asked, they end up saying no, and they just contribute to this culture. And and honestly, man, now I'm just, I haven't done this the last 12 years. I will see some of you guys all the time, especially these ports leaders or ports volunteers, ports leaders. I'm just going to pick on you for a second because I'll see some of you guys. I'm like, man, that's a cute girl. You should take her out. Or here's, you know, there's somebody in our church and, or here's a cute guy. I'm going to arrange that date. And without ever meeting them or even seeing them in person, they will immediately pull up the phone, pull up the Instagram account and see a photo, a single photo and say, no, I don't do beards. I don't do beards? What? I mean, you're looking at, it's, sometimes it's a private account. So you're looking at a tiny, tiny, tiny little head and you're deciding this person is not worth spending any time with. I'm not attracted to them. Attraction is something that grows over time and it grows through conversation. It grows through getting to know someone's personality. And you're going to say through a photo, no. Especially when other believers around you are saying, hey, you guys should go on a date. So girls, go or say yes to dates, not anything else. Guys, if she says no, you respect her and you honor 
You don't stalk, you don't think, she's just playing hard to get, I'm gonna ask again tomorrow. She's not playing hard to get. <laughs> Said no, for whatever reason, she doesn't wanna do that. Matthew chapter seven, verse 12 says, a reflection of honoring, that in everything you do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So here's some questions people are gonna ask. Can Ben, can he DM Bex over here? Is that an appropriate way to ask out? I mean, sure, if you were gonna rank, like what is the, what will she respect and appreciate more? You could put them in this rank. Ask them in person. If you have their phone number, you can ask them on the phone. Then you got text message. Then you got DM. Then you got Snapchat down at the bottom dwellers and then Tinder all the way at the basement down there. And if you will ask her in person, and Ben looks like a stand-up guy, I'm sure he does this all the time. Ask in person, Becca can then decide, and I'm telling you, they will appreciate both the clarity and your willingness to be courageous in doing that because that's the challenge. I mean, here's, here's why we don't like to ask. Here's like why guys like to go, this lady's good for you to know, for better or for worse, is there's part of us that fears rejection. So anything we can do to avoid being rejected, we're gonna naturally drift towards that. And so because I'm afraid to re be rejected, what happens is we end up going back and forth on some sort of texting or some social media like 50 different times and it's some version of like flirty, why are you asking me all these questions back and forth? Because they're just trying to put the feel out and I'm telling you guys, be courageous. If you risk being rejected and she says no, I am so proud of you. You crushed your part. If you honor her by asking in a way that says it's specifically a date, here's specifically what we're gonna go on, you and she says no, you have crushed your part. I am so proud of you. And you are officially in the top 1% of date asker outers. Congratulations. Don't determine it based on whether or not they say yes. That's the ask out. Okay, so let's say Ben, he asks Bex, this is outside of the milkshake game, he asks her on a date, she says yes, then they're gonna move to the next seat, which is the date. What does it look like to go on that date, honor God, honor her, honor him, and do that together? So the second idea is the date, or the second phase. Where? Again, all of this underneath, honor one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, honor everyone. Honor, honor. The date, where should you go? Somewhere in public and somewhere you can have a conversation. The entire point of dating is to evaluate, is this someone that I want to spend more time with? Someone that could be, over the course of time, someone that I move in a relationship that moves towards marriage with. And so every date is a chance to get greater clarity, not to impress them, but to, in some ways, interview and interrogate who is this person? This is a huge role. No more important relationship in my life exists than my wife. So I wanna make sure that on dates, I'm getting to know this person before I rule them in or rule them out. What does this mean? It means that going to see an Avengers movie for the first date, probably not a great move for a variety of reasons. She's not gonna like it and you won't be able to talk and communicate. Okay, there's a couple of Avengers fans over here. Point being, <laughs> Man, you can do that at home, you can do that alone. Go and have a conversation, a place where you can communicate together. Maybe that's going to dinner and on a walk, dinner and a sports game, lunch and a walk, lunch in an art gallery. And, and let me set this, because 
The Bachelor has created such pressure for men to think, oh my gosh, the first date, I gotta go big. I gotta get us tickets to you know, fly up to Vail and then we're gonna do a one day trip or I gotta pick her up in a helicopter. Don't do that, don't do that. One, she's gonna find it creepy. Like, bro, this guy is desperate. He picked me up in a helicopter. I was all about it and it's not necessary. And so you take her on a date, you spend time, you have a conversation and Ben, let's say he's getting to know and he's speaking with Bex and they're on that date and, um, and the bill comes. What should Ben do? Ben pays for her date. I don't know where our world lost this, but it is not honoring. If I was to ask you to come with me to the store, and I was like, hey, you wanna to come to the store with me? And while we're driving to the store, I say, I'm asking you to do something you weren't going to do until I asked you to do, a date. On the way to the store, I ask you, hey, would you mind paying for half the gas in the car on the way there? You'd be like, bro, I, you asked me to come with you to the store. If you're gonna ask her on a date, you pay for the meal. As simple as that is, for whatever reason, so many people don't know that. You don't split the check. You don't use a coupon. <laughs> Coupons are probably fine, I guess. I, I, but you pay for her meal. You honor her. What should we talk about? What should you talk about on the date? This is another area where, man, Christians, they just get weird, man. It's weird. You got several weird where you go, I was encouraged by the brother earlier who was like, I probably wouldn't do that on the first date. I'd keep it light. That is the correct answer, that you keep it light, not heavy. You keep it intentional, but not intense. You keep it casual and not creepy. You're not asking, hey, how many children would you like to have? And what would you like to name them? And you know, this is what I plan to have. You walk through and you keep it casual and you keep the conversation. You ask where they're from. What do they like to do for hobbies? How many siblings do they have? Where do they work? When was the first time that they you know, went to the mountains? Any question that's just gonna keep the conversation. You're just getting to know this person. It's just a date. And so you pay for the meal, you do it at a place where you can talk and you talk and you keep it light. If there's a second date possibility, If at the end of the date, Ben is going, man, I really had a great time. And so I think I'd like to ask her to go on a second date. And he makes that ask. And he says, Becca, that milkshake was delicious. I would like to go get another milkshake with you. And Becca is sitting over here and she's thinking, oh, not me, not me. <laughs> she doesn't say, sure, that would be great. Why? Because that's a lie. She doesn't want that. <laughs> Ephesians chapter four says that Christians are to speak the truth to one another in love, that we are to be honest. And so if at the end of the second date or at the end of the first date, you don't wanna go on a second, hot take number two, I think a second date is always a good chance to make sure you've properly evaluated because a single meal together with the waiter interrupting you and with you, know, you guys trying to talk and converse is not always the perfect, man, I'm just going on a soapbox. It's not always the perfect opportunity to evaluate. Why? Because some of you guys are introverts, some of you guys are extroverts. Some of you guys are comfortable meeting new people, some of you guys aren't comfortable. And so if you judge an entire person based on, oh my gosh, that one awkward interaction, you're probably gonna rule out some strong candidates, but you do you. So anyways, she, at the end of the date, decides, I do wanna go on a second date, or she's thinking, I'm not sure if I want to. What does she say? I'm not sure. And Ben, because I know this bro is probably a gentle man. He, when he asks her, say, and if you'd like to take some time to think about it, you can get back to me or you can let me know. 
Now let's say Ben has a great milkshake, great time, doesn't really want to go further. At the end of that date, does he say, man, this was great, I'll call you. Not unless he's going to call her. And this has really become a big deal. And it's funny, but you guys are doing this. Like you just lie. You ghost people. It's not honoring to God. And so if it's not true, don't say it. And what happens, and the reason why knowing this is important is because whenever we're in that situation, we just get nervous. And so we're sitting there, and we're on the date, and they ask us, and he's like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that, come in. And then he asks, and I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. And so knowing, oh man, now I know what to do. If I don't want to go on a date with someone, I just say, thank you so much for dinner. This was really fun. I'm just not interested in going on a second date. So we go out in public. If there isn't a second date or if there's going to be a second date, we speak the truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. We're honest with other people. But let's say the relationship keeps going. Ben and Beck, they go on a few more dates, a few more milkshakes, get the Tex-Mex. Things are going great. And they find themselves at a place where they're in that kind of middle zone, where they're not... It's not clear boyfriend, girlfriend, but they're going on some dates. And it really would be weird if Ben found out that Bex was going on a date with another guy. And he's like, man, I got to you know, lock this thing in. They move to what is called the DTR. They're going to move the seat. You guys don't know about the DTR. I'm about to tell you about it, okay? The DTR stands for what? Define the relationship. This is that moment where maybe it's four or five dates in, Ben finds himself or you find yourself or that person finds himself going, man, I want to date this person exclusively. I don't want to leave her wondering because so many people leave so many people wondering. I want to make clear I would like to move this forward and I'd like to ask her to be my girlfriend out of an attempt to honor her and I'm going to define the relationship. And that can look like sitting down and having the conversation where if it's Ben and Bex or Sarah and Steve, and he says, I've really enjoyed dating you. I'm not sure you're the person I'm going to marry, but I would like to pursue and continue dating you because you're the type of person I hope to marry. I'd like you to be my girlfriend. That last word, really, really important. For you, you're like, man, titles don't mean anything. They do to her, okay? And so it's really important for you to incorporate. You're going to sit down. You're going to have the conversation. And if Bex, Ben initiated that, and Bex, Bex? It's good. Or Becca? It's good. Bex? Is, uh, um, and if she's like, man, I, I, I'm, I honestly was about to say, I don't really want to keep going on dates with you. She says that. Or she says, I would like that. I would like to be your girlfriend. And Ben, I know you've been here before. I'm sure I know I have. This conversation, men, it, there's no way around it. It's going to be awkward. You're, you're going to find yourself, you know, tripping over your words. You're trying to figure out how to say it. And you're in her car one night after, you know, the porch or out here on the lawn. And all of us are going to walk past you and you're going to have this conversation. You're dating that girl. You look over at her and you're like, look, um, Bex, and your voice is going to start cracking. And you're going to feel like the Eminem song. I'm like, knees are weak, arms are heavy, vomiting on a sweater already. Moms are getting nervous. But on the surface, he is calm and ready. Um, Bex, I... Uh, uh, I would like for you, I'm, I'm not sure you're the person I'm going to marry, but you, you're kind of the type of person I was, you, you know what he said up there, and uh, 
I'd like for you to be my girlfriend, and you're going to feel awkward. It's going to be like you went back to, to junior high locker room, and you're going to be nervous. And you know what all of that means? You're doing it right. You're being courageous. You're leading and bringing clarity. I have never heard of a person who has that conversation, and it's just like, yeah, it was smooth, it was easy, and all that stuff. No, that typically reflects something wrong with the guy, or that he doesn't have interest. And so it may be awkward, it may be clunky, it may be uncomfortable, but you do, and you honor God, and you honor her by defining the relationship and bringing clarity to the relationship. First Corinthians chapter 13 says, love doesn't leave a little mystery. Love doesn't self-protect, because that's what that is. I mean, we just don't want to define the relationship because we're afraid of, of being hurt. Love doesn't do those things. Love, verse five, does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking or self-protecting. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Perhaps the most consistent feedback I will hear among dating couples is, I'm so frustrated. They send mixed signals constantly that they're holding my hand and they're texting me and then I won't hear from them for 10 days. Or, you know, she's all about it and walking through, holding my arm at the mall and then it's like she went on a date with another guy. It's not honoring to God. It's not honoring to them and it's not okay. You bring clarity to the relationship or you dishonor them and you dishonor God. And I'm speaking to Christians who wanna honor God as they date. I mean, some of you guys are so confusing. It's, it's like, th this is what the person that you're dating feels like when they're trying to date. They're like, wait, uh, wait, okay. Um, yeah, I'm like a sister to you, wait, what? And you bring clarity. They're not wondering, she's not wondering. Okay, so then, you got the DTR, and let's say Ben made that move. He's like, I, wanna, I want you to be my girlfriend. Beck said, I want to be your girlfriend. They move into the relationship. This is getting exciting. We're getting closer together step by step, day by day. Okay, so then they're in the relationship. What does this mean? This is really important. This means they're in a relationship. It does not mean that they're married. In other words, they're still dating, which means they're still in the interrogation room. There's still where Bex is going, hey, I want to know everything about this guy. I want to know, man, I want to meet your mom. I want to know where you went to college. I want to know how much, what's your, what's your credit score, okay? How much you got in student loans? All of that stuff. You're in the interrogation where you're deciding who's going to be the father of your children, the mother of your children, the person who will more impact your life than any other human on the planet for the rest of your life, who hopefully the next five decades plus you're going to spend with. You want to make sure that you know their life. You're understanding them. You're walking through and you're still in the dating phase. What's their job? What makes them angry? Meeting their family. In this stage, you wanna make sure that you involve other believers, that you have other Christian community that are speaking into it. Because here's what I know about Becca. I don't know a lot, but Becca has what is called a heart. And the Bible says a heart can deceive us. She can develop feelings for Ben, and Ben can be a jerk. I'm sure you're not. But Ben could be a total jerk, a terrible pick, not even following Jesus, and Bex could find herself still following in love. So having other girls around who see the relationship, who see how he treats her, who, who are kind of familiar with her patterns to go, I don't think he's good for you. Or to go, like, Ben seems like great. Man, he seems like a really solid guy. Like that's, I'm so excited for this relationship, to have other believers in your life. For whatever reason, when it comes to making big decisions in life, most of us seek out counsel, except for in this one. 
The Bible says that plans or relationships succeed based on wise counselors or other people speaking into it. Proverbs chapter 15, 22 says plans, or you could insert relationships, or you could insert plans to have a successful marriage fail for lack of counselors. But with many advisors, they succeed. Additionally, other thoughts in the relationship, you should not just be in community and continue evaluating. You should be pursuing purity together. In other words, not introducing sex into the relationship. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, marriage should be honored by all. In the marriage bed, that means who you sleep with, should be kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And as they continue to date, they don't continue to move further into physical intimacy together. Because they understand, hey, that's for the context of marriage. So how far is too far? The Bible doesn't teach that that's the right question. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a verse we've taught a lot here, when it says sexual immorality or sex outside of marriage, sex with any person that you're dating, it says don't try to get as close to the line as you can. Flee from sexual immorality. So practically, if your body, if you find yourself with that person, snuggling on the couch, moving in certain directions, and your body begins to prepare itself for sex, you have crossed over the line. Do I need to explain more? If your body begins to physically prepare for sex, you, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, <coughs> flee. Get up, honor her, I'm going home. Which is not, I mean, let's be honest, if you're attracted to the person, that can happen. But make sure I've got boundaries in place. Hey, we're not hanging out horizontal on the couch alone by ourselves. Doesn't, good things don't happen. Why would that be wrong? Let me ask you this. If you have a married friend, just go a married guy friend, nobody married in your life, and he was touching the breasts or genitals of a woman in this room who was not his wife, would you think that's okay? Why would it be any different with you? She's not your wife. Just like she's not his. And God says it's not. In fact, biblically, and I'm, that goes both ways, guys and girls. Biblically, the Bible doesn't recognize girlfriend or boyfriend. It recognizes father or mother, brother or sister, wife or husband. The only fourth category for a relationship with a girl it has is prostitute. So are you going to treat her like your mother? No, she's not your mom. You're your sister. Wife? She's not your wife. So you're left with sister and prostitute. Which one is he going to treat you like? Which one do you want to be treated like? The Bible says, the answer to that question, you could see in how he's treating you. And if it's wrong for a married man to touch the body of a woman who's not his wife, why would it be any more wrong for you? The Bible would say it isn't. So inside of the relationship, things continue progressing. But let's say they didn't. And Becca, they've gone on a few dates, and Ben finds himself going, you know, this girl doesn't floss. I've got some problems with <laughs> just the direction uh, that uh, this is headed. And I'm sure you do too, by the way, Bex. You, you have great teeth. She's got great teeth. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, <clears throat> uh, 
But let's say he decides, man, this has been great for whatever reason. I don't want to get married. I'm not ready to get married. I don't want to continue dating. And although she's been great and she has amazing character qualities, maybe it's personal, maybe it's the timing, maybe he's moving. For whatever reason, he needs to decide to break up. And so he decides, I'm going to come and I'm going to communicate. And I'm going to honor you even as I communicate. Man, I've enjoyed spending time with you. I don't see this relationship moving towards marriage. And so I'm going to break up. If you don't see a relationship moving towards marriage, that's your sign to break up. And so he's going to do that. He's going to come. He's going to honor her and be gentle and tender and say, we need to break up. This relationship is not moving towards marriage. I've really enjoyed spending time with you. Or vice versa, if she's there and, and he's you know, full send on Bex and Ben, he's got the wedding hashtag all worked out and everything, and she's going, no, I, I'm not there. She would say, I've really enjoyed spending time with you. Thank you for honoring me. Hopefully that's true. But I don't want to continue moving forward in this relationship together. Philippians chapter two says, we do nothing out of selfish ambition. That I never act out of selfish ambition. So I go and I do that, not in the way that I want to, but in the way that is most considerate of her. And so I do that in person. I don't do it on a text. I don't send them a Snapchat. The way some of you guys break up, honestly, man, I don't even have a word for that. I'm, I, the word I would have, I can't say on a stage. So <laughs> honor them. Do it in person. Send a message. You put the interests of that person before yourself. Some of you guys, you need to break up because you, you're in a relationship you know is wrong. You know is not the right one. And you keep going like, yeah, man, he's amazing. And you know, all he needs is Jesus. And he, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> and you're not Jesus. And your role is not to be Jesus to him. And you will not find Mr. Right because you keep dating Mr. Wrong and you keep staying with Mr. Wrong. Thanks. <laughs> so additionally, as we break up and afterwards we take time to heal, that one of the worst things you can do is to jump right into a relationship after you've broken up, especially if it's a serious one, or especially if Ben and Becca had been dating for six months, a year, and you begin to ask God to heal and work through healing from that relationship. But let's say they didn't break up, or let's say they did, and sometimes people break up, and then they get back together, and they move in to a more serious level of dating, which I would call the decision, where they are now going to move to the next seat, and this is the time where your relationship is getting more serious. Some of you guys are in here, we call it seriously dating, or call it whatever you want. It is basically, you're going to go hard to the hole, check all the boxes before you decide, I'm going to marry this person. I, they seem like somebody who has the character, the characteristics, the type of person God says to look for. I enjoy being with them. And so I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that we have the same vision for marriage. I understand like the hopes and dreams that he has for children, she has for children, that the future that we have doesn't not just unalign with each other, doesn't unalign with God's word or what God calls us to. And we're going to walk through this, some of the final stages of dating. And this is when, because this question gets asked all the time. I'm like, hey, how do I know when to get engaged? This is the answer. When you have worked through these things, when you begin to go, hey, I've processed these questions and I know the answers and I want to move forward with this relationship. 
And other people in my life encouraged us to do so. That you've walked through and you have checked their baggage and your baggage. That you've had conversations in this stage that are more intimate where you're hearing about his wounds. How those wounds, father wounds, relationship wounds, baggage that he carries, how that impacts him. How he's worked through some of those things. Sexual history, sexual past. You're having conversations about, hey, this is the type of future that I want to have. The type of number of kids that I want to have. This is some of the things that I feel God has called me to. This is the stage where if Bex is saying, I feel like I'm called to be a missionary in India, and he's going, I feel like I'm called to be a dentist in Lakewood, you got to get on the same page about that. And neither of which is wrong. But walking through, like, man, here's what I feel like God is calling me to and having more serious levels of conversations. Is there sexual history? Do you have an STD? Is there baggage that you carry from your parents' divorce that you've never worked through? How have you worked through those things? This is why I love Merge. Merge is here in Watermark in Dallas. It's our premarital ministry that I highly recommend, especially if you're seriously dating or if you're in the seriously dating phase. Even before you can engage, I think it's awesome because they force these conversations. Because it can be just kind of awkward to be like, out of the blue, so um, let's talk your sexual history and uh, baggage or how many children you want to have. And merge or premarital counseling can often help facilitate those, help encourage and help lead through just discussing things that are really important. It can be done without it, but alone, it can be challenging. So I love merge. If you're seriously dating, I would highly recommend it. It's on Wednesday nights. It's an incredible class. And and you can find more at watermark.org. You can even, if you're listening in from afar, you can do it online or you can attend via Zoom. This is not the time. This is a myth that people have. In the decision phase, I've heard moms, moms from this group call in and be like, how could you tell my kids not to move in together with the person that they're dating? Here's why. In other words, there's a myth that in this stage, you should move in together so that you know if you'll be a good fit for marriage. Here's why that's a bad idea. The Bible, number one, and number two, society. Thank you. If that wasn't enough, society, even in psychology and sociology, says cohabitating, which is living together, before marriage. For years, we thought, man, that would have the likelihood of increasing the chances that they would stay together. And we're discovering it actually decreases and increases the rate of divorce by between 33 and 150%. That's on top of a 50% divorce rate. Those are slim odds, man. And that that comes from the University of Georgia. It comes from Psychology Today. You can just look it up, National Council on Family Relations. And here's why they've discovered it, because it's really interesting. I mean, you would think, like, oh, you move in together, you live together, and you don't get married until you know, like, oh, man, man, we made this work. Like, we we know how to kind of live together. We know each other's rhythms. You would think that would increase. Nope, decreases. And here's why. This is really important. Listen very closely. I'm going to try to explain as clear as I can. The researchers say the reason it is is because of what they call the cohabitation inertia effect. Now, if you don't remember physics, inertia is when something is moving in a direction and it becomes really, really hard for it to stop. And whenever a couple moves in together, they begin to make life decisions that make it more difficult for the inertia of that relationship to break up. Distinct from if they were not living together, for example, 
They move in together, and it happens naturally. You're like, dude, my AT&T bill is so high. Oh, your AT&T bill is high. We should get the same AT&T bill. We're already living together. Then they decide, oh, man, I, gotta put a, I need a co-signer on the lease for this Audi. Probably not a good idea, but I need a co-signer, and can you do it? And now you've got a lease together. And then you see you know, a dog. She's on her way home from work, and they have an adoption puppy thing, and she's like, look, I got Brutus. Hey, you're a daddy. And you're like, whoa. And now you got Brutus, you got AT&T phone bills, you got all these things that all of a sudden come in. And before, this is what the researchers say, before they had the ability to properly evaluate, is this someone I want to decide to marry? They've already begun to slide into marriage. It's, it's like with any subscription trial, I feel like this happens all the time, where people will say, hey, it's free for a week, and then after that, it's $10 billion. And you, know, you sign up, you're like, it's free for a week, this would be amazing. And then you know, two weeks later, you're like, still watching Ted Lasso on Apple Plus, wondering, oh man, I think I was supposed to cancel that. And you never made the decision, I wanna get Apple Plus. You just thought, oh, I'll do it, and then you know, I can get out of that when I want to. And then you look up and realize, I, I didn't decide, I slid. And that's what cost you about $15 in Apple Plus. It could cost you 15 years or more if you do that same offense in marriage where you don't go, man, I'm deciding. I'm sliding. And man, I've just, I've seen it so many times for so many years. And the pain and the baggage and the scars because as painful as it is, right now you're 26. And you end up marrying the wrong person and you divorce when you're 38, you're not gonna be thankful. And all the red flags that are coming at you and you're just going, oh man, but we got, we got the AT&T bill, we got so much of our life together, I have so much relational equity, I can't just break it off. I'm begging you, break it off. So in this stage, they eventually decide, man, I, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. I've been honoring, living separately, and they come to a place where they're like, I want to decide. And this is probably the most practical section of the message for the men. Where Ben decides, I want to marry her. What does he do? Number one, he makes sure that marriage is within the near future or on the horizon. I personally don't think that someone should be engaged for longer than a year. There could be extenuating circumstances, but here's what I know. If you are attracted to somebody in dating, if you are attracted to this person that you're dating, you're gonna have temptation already. If you're engaged and you are like, you, you boo-boo, and you're picking out flowers and you're like, oh man, we're holding hands and I just can't wait to be old and wrinkly with you, you're gonna have so much temptation. You don't wanna prolong that for any longer than you have to. But let's say he's decided, I wanna do that, I see marriage in the near future. What does he do next? He goes and talks to her parents. Really practically, what if her parents are divorced? Then you go and you talk to her mom and you talk to her dad. What if her dad's not in the picture, hasn't ever known her dad? It's gonna be probably challenging for you to get a hold of her dad, so I would go with her mom. If you can get a hold of her dad or there is some relationship, I would ask for their blessing or ask for their permission. Is that old fashioned? No, it's honoring to them, which is what the Bible commands. And so you ask them, hey, I'd like to marry your daughter. I'd like your blessing. Here's what I plan to do. I plan to honor her. I plan to take care of her. And I plan to pursue her. They may not be Christians, you're thinking. They may not be. Do you know what's going to happen when they sit down with Ben? And Ben's like, I want to honor your daughter. 
I want to care for her, I want to cherish her, and I want to love her and serve her for the rest of my life like Christ loved the church. Even if they're not Christians, they're going to go, I'm going to the family, man. And they're going to be so excited. And you will have honored Jesus by doing that. They'll see something remarkable. And it's a chance for you to honor God in that moment. So step one, make sure marriage is on the horizon. Step two, you go and you honor, as the Bible says in Ephesians 6, honor your father and your mother and your future father and mother-in-law. And then this one I didn't see coming when I was younger, so I'm going to give it just for free, man. Then you go buy a ring. Now, you have never thought about your engagement ring before. She has, okay? And you think ring, you think, yeah, I got to go get a diamond. And you think diamond, you think just kind of a little tiny rock that's, you know, crystal like a you know, see-through. She thinks princess cut and cushion cut and emerald cut and circle cut and rose gold and white gold and silver and probably has some idea. She may not. And so you just got to evaluate, man, who is, who's your girl, bro? Who is, what is she? And what type of ring does she want? Now here's what I've realized about women over the years. They talk. And so <laughs> you don't know. And my guess is, though, her friends do. Or they have a weird, like, Jedi mind trick, sister-sister thing where they can be like, hey, look at these rings. I was thinking about it for me if I ever get engaged someday. Which one would you want? And they just do that with their friend, and then they've done intel for you, and you're like, here's the one. You're, you're welcome. So you want to pick out, make sure, if she's going to wear it for 50 years, and she cares, congratulations. You care, because she's your girl. In addition to that, that's step three. So now you got the ring. Step four, you plan a proposal that she likes. What does that mean? Some girls, you, you need to decide, are you, are you going to propose to what I would call the jumbotron type, where she wants it on the game, jumbotron, hit the knee in front of everybody, kiss cam? Or is she the, I want it on the bridge, moonlight, you know, walking, and then there, and it's just the two of us intimate? I don't know, but you got to find out the answer and do it. Here's why this matters. The engagement is not about you. It's about honoring God. How do you honor God? By loving and putting the needs of the other person in front of you. Finally, then you hit the knee and you pull the trigger. So you guys, you're moving to proposal. All right, Ben, you're going to hit a knee. You're actually in this moment. You're going to put it on Becca's hand. And this is a magical ring. All right, Ben, show them how it's done. Wow. May, kiss your bride. Okay, no, sit back down. I'm totally kidding. Somebody gave me that ring, and I was like, play around with it. Um, it's totally a fake ring, too, by the way, I think, from, like, I don't even know. Um, okay, so now you've done that. Now you moved into marriage. And this is where, so now it's done, you're in marriage. You guys can move over to final seat. And marriage is where, um, really, the most wonderful, it's where the wonderful and the work take place. As crazy as it is, everything that's been leading up to this matters so much less than here. And this is really when all of the different sin in your heart and you're going to move in because as nice as Ben is and as nice as Becca is, they're two sinners. And when you put two sinners together and they've been selfish and they've been living unaware of how selfish and sinful they are and you put them in. And on that moment where they marry one another and it is the most amazing, like marriage is incredible. You, you, every, I wish every one of you would get married and have someone to 
spend their life with, spend time with, raise kids with, have, you know, guilt-free sex whenever you want with, and have an amazing future together. It's amazing. It's, it's the greatest gift. My team, I, I, JD's engaged, and he'll get texts from me all the time, like, bro, I'm so excited. I can't wait for you to be married. It's amazing. But marriage is also hard work. Why? Because I said it takes two sinners and is nice and great and complimentary as you think you are. You're broken and so is she. And you put those two together. I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married. And marriage didn't make me selfish. It just exposed it. Like when you're single right now, you can be selfish. You can kind of have that stuff. And you had a hard day at work and you go home and you just get on Pinterest and you scroll through. Or you get home and you go to your room and play Call of Duty. You get married. There ain't no room with Call of Duty you're going to. You're going to talk and, and work through conflict and make decisions. And all that's going to come to the surface. And through walking with Jesus, we die daily to the sin and the selfishness. And that's constantly, candidly, that's something that for the rest of my life I'll be doing with my wife. And for the rest of your life, you'll be doing with your husband or with your wife. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, the husband's role, and we're about to land the plane. For husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. This may be the verse that I fail to live out more than any other verse in the Bible. And yet it is a verse that I am called to live out every day and moment that I lay down my life for my wife. That I die. It's funny as at marriage, something happens. Bride, groom, they were standing here. They walk down to what's called an altar. Do you know what happens in an altar? In the Old Testament, sacrifice, something dies. And the day you and that person marry, you die. And she died. And you're not two, you're not one. And for the rest of your life, it is dying to the needs and putting the needs of the person I'm married to in front of me for the rest of the rest. It's where the wonderful and the amazing and also the work begin. Okay, that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you get from the ask out to the altar and after. Can we give it up for our friends, Ben and Becca? Hey man, that was a great proposal, bro. You're ready. Thank you guys. Hey, let me close here. Marriage is a really big deal to God. He talks about it often. And just in thinking and praying on and reflecting on how often he does and wondering why, we're actually told the answer. And by big deal to God, I mean, do you know the Bible begins with a marriage? And it ends with a marriage. It begins with a wedding between Adam and Eve, God being the efficient, the first human relationship. It's the very first thing that we're introduced to, Adam and Eve. And then it ends in Revelation chapter 19, chapter 21, chapter 22, and over and over it talks about the wedding of the Lamb, where Christ comes and returns for his bride, the church, in fact, I'll just read it. It says, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, I saw the new heaven and new earth. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, with the people of God coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 and 7, it says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come. This is John. The book of Revelation is John given a vision by God. And he sees, and he sees all the future events that are going to happen at the end of time. And he says, there's this moment. And the wedding of the Lamb of God, who has come for his bride. Verse 7. In fine linen and bright, 
clean. Clothes were given to her. And then in verse 9, blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It starts and ends. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. All throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, this relationship, this marital language is used. And the reason why marriage is such a big deal to God is because marriage isn't about Ben and Bex. It's not about you and your lover, your person. Paul would say, the same exact thing Revelation says in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, for this reason, verse 31, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Talking about marriage, you would think. This is a profound mystery. What, the two becoming one? No. The profound mystery is that I'm talking about Christ and the church, that the Bible says ultimately marriage, why it's a big deal to God, is it's not just a picture of you and your bride or you and your husband. It is a picture of God and his unstoppable, unending relationship with the church, his bride. And in marriage, we're given a glimpse, a picture that points us to that. This is really good news because here's what the bride of Christ is made up of. It's made up of people who didn't earn their way or work their way or clean themselves up and deserve to be pursued by the bride or by the groom, which is Jesus. It's made up of people who've recognized, I don't deserve it. I'm messed up. I'll never earn it. And that's the first step to stepping in a relationship with God, a relationship that for all of eternity will be celebrated and will be a part of between the body of Christ and Jesus, restored fully in relationship together. And that's really good news because here's what I know about you. I know it about you because I know it about me. In this room, just like in this heart, there's a lot of dating dysfunction. There's a lot of brokenness in your past. There's a lot of sexual baggage. There's a lot of things. You look at that list, you're like, I did all of those wrong. And I feel hopeless. I feel like worthless. I feel like I'm, it's impossible. And God and the message of the Bible is that you, in Christ, you're Dating relationships may have failed, but in Christ, you are not a failure. You may have made mistakes in your life, but you are not a mistake. You were here on purpose. God loves you. He created you, and he wants you to have the most important relationship you will ever have, which is not with a spouse. It is with him. And that transcends any marriage in this world, and it also is the point of every marriage in this world. God loves you. Mistakes that you have made do not define you, and he in Christ offers hope and healing. The story is not done. And the story ultimately, it's not about you. It's about him. But when we take our story and we say, God, I'm gonna honor you. I wanna seek to honor them. I'm gonna walk with other people together. We get to be a part of stepping into a marriage that understands ultimately what marriage is about, which is him. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you have brought together men and women who are dating in this room. And I pray that the relationships that are honoring you, not perfectly, but they're trying, God, that you would help them, that you would sustain them, that you would strengthen them. And that if it is your will that they would get married, that they would 
raise children, to know and walk with you. We live in a world that is dark and increasingly dark. So would you put together warriors who operate out of love and who walk together in love. I pray that you would break up relationships that need to end. They would have the strength to make that step. I pray that you would move and stir the hearts of men to ask women out. I pray that women would honor and how they engage in that conversation. And they would say yes on a date if it's an appropriate person that they should go on a date with and no if it's not. And that you would prevent any guy from being a predator and that you would expose them and that we would find them and that we would do everything we can to protect and facilitate and encourage people to experience life in Jesus. Thank you that you, through what you did on the cross, have invited us into the greatest relationship, ultimately what marriage is about, which is with you forever and ever. We worship you now in song. Amen.